Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Cowden coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, a Methodist nonprofit in New Jersey is embroiled in a religious liberty battle with local government officials over beach access. We'll have details. Also, an Assemblies of God pastor has spoken out against Chi Alpha. That's the denomination's college campus ministry that's currently knee-deep in a sexual abuse scandal. And we have the results of a new study, a study that shows Southern Baptists are growing, but not in the South, in the Northeast. We'll look at the entire story in a few moments. We begin today with positive news. Eleven evangelical colleges across the country have announced record enrollment this fall. According to reporting by Christianity Today, student enrollment is up at Christian colleges and universities all across the country. Jesse Ryan is a higher education scholar and executive director of the Center for Academic Faithfulness and Flourishing. And he told Ministry Watch that the Christian colleges experiencing the most growth were those that have embraced and emphasized their Christian identity. Instead of trying to be more generic to attract a wider pool of prospective students, which rarely works well, Ryan said, Christian colleges should highlight what makes them different. He said, Christian families are looking for alternatives to the secular academy. In this environment, the colleges that boldly lead from their Christian mission will stand out. Which colleges reported growth this year? Well, one was Asbury University in Kentucky. That's probably not a surprise to a lot of our listeners because they were aware of the Asbury revival that we reported on back in February. Asbury grew by 20% to a student body size of just under 2,000. And Asbury's spokesperson said that the revival was likely a significant role in the growth, played a significant role in the growth, but they've also added some new programs, a dual enrollment program with nearby private high schools and a plus one master's program where you can stay at the school for an additional year and get not just an undergrad, but also a master's degree. Another school that's growing is East Texas Baptist University in Marshall, Texas. The school reported the highest enrollment it's seen in its 111-year history. About 1,800 students, a 36% increase over the last decade. And Abilene Christian University is another one that we talked with. They reported a total student enrollment of more than 6,000. That's a 19% increase over the last five years. By the way, Abilene Christian University has moved into the top 10 on Ministry Watch's list of the largest Christian colleges and universities in the country. Any other colleges on the list that you want to highlight? Yeah, uh, because we've been talking mostly about smaller schools. Abilene Christian is an exception there. I do want to mention that some of the bigger schools are also growing fairly significantly as well. Uh, Baylor University, Campbellsville University, and Colorado Christian University all saw uh, upward trends in enrollment, and that trend goes back to 2017. Also, Grand Canyon University, which is the largest Christian college in, in the country. You can read more and see the entire list at the Ministry Watch website website. But overall, this is good news, especially since the news hasn't been so bright for some Christian colleges that have had to close their doors in the last couple of years. In fact, between 2010 and 2020, 
29 religiously affiliated schools closed their doors forever. Well, let's move on to our next story. A Christian group in the New Jersey seaside town of Ocean Grove is battling with state officials over beach access on Sundays. Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association is a religious nonprofit, and they purchased much of the land in the town of Oak Grove, including the beach, more than 150 years ago. It's a resort town. It's sometimes called God's Square Mile because uh, the Camp Meeting Association does own the town. But they've kept its beach closed on Sundays from 9 to noon every Sunday of the summer so that residents can attend church services. That's a total of just 45 hours a year, the 15 Sundays from Memorial Day to Labor Day. But New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection is now saying Ocean Grove is disobeying the law by cutting off access to the ocean, which it deems public property. That's right, but Michael Badger, who is the president of the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association, says they purchased the beach in 1887, and he says that they even paid for land that extends 1,000 feet out into the ocean. Michael Badger's uh, conclusion is simply this, the land is indisputably ours. Still, though, state uh, officials sent the association a letter back in August and then followed up last week. They say that denying people access to the beach, even for a few hours a week, is illegal and claim that the group cannot limit public access. Orrin, give us a little history. The, The Camp Meeting Association bought the property a long time ago. What was it used for? Yeah, it really does have an interesting history. The association is a nonprofit that's owned the land since the late 1800s, as I said. Uh, That includes part of the beach, the boardwalk, and the pier there. Ocean Grove is a community of about 3,000 residents, and it was founded as a tent revival religious retreat for Methodists. Originally, they would have camp meetings during the summer, but eventually people built cabins, and the town just kind of grew from there. It has a rich past as an outgrowth of that camp meeting movement in the United States when a group of Methodist clergy formed the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association. Uh, The camp became eventually, though, a popular destination for Christians and others along the East Coast in the years right after the Civil War. Many past presidents of the United States and celebrities have been known to spend their summers at Ocean Grove. The town is part of Neptune, but it's different from most other towns. While residents and businesses can purchase homes and buildings there, the association owns the land and charges homeowners a leasing fee. But this isn't the first time the Camp Meeting Association has been involved in religious liberty battles. No, that's right. Uh, Back in 2012, a judge ruled that the association had violated the state's discrimination law when it refused to host the civil union ceremony of a lesbian couple at its boardwalk pavilion. Because of that, the Methodist group stopped holding weddings altogether. Let's look at one more story before the break. A new report released by Open Door and World Relief shows that fewer Christian fleeing persecution in their native countries have found a safe harbor in the United States in the past 10 years. Yeah, Open Doors cites the effects of the pandemic and the dismantling of U.S. refugee resettlement programs during the Trump administration as the cause. The report is called 
closed doors, and it found that the number of Christians coming to the United States from countries named on a prominent persecution watch list dropped from 32,000 in 2016 to just 9,500 in 2022. That's a decline of about 70%. The new report was written by Open Door and World Relief, an evangelical charity that resettles refugees. According to the watch list released earlier this year, there are about 360 million Christians facing what Open Doors calls high levels of discrimination and persecution. That's up more than 100 million from the 2020 report. Much of the increase has come in sub-Saharan Africa driven by political instability and internal conflict in countries like Nigeria. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, a Texas pastor speaks out publicly about Chi Alpha ministry scandals. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hey everybody, Warren Smith interrupting the podcast for just a moment to let you know that uh, it's now September, of course, and uh, in new month means that we have a new donor premium. Uh, We're offering Restoring All Things, God's audacious plan for changing the world through everyday people. It's a book that I wrote in 2015 with John Stone Street. John, of course, uh, many of you know, is the president of the Colson Center. He's an old friend and a great colleague and you know john and i are both really um, pleased with this book i can tell you that um, john and and the colson center use it as part of their colson fellows program and um, I, i just think that if you care about christian ministries and you care about the life of the church in this country that you'll want to read this book this book talks about ministries that are doing great work uh, in this country. There are ministries that uh, I think that we can at least pray for, if not financially support. And honestly, too, it's a little bit of a palate cleanser um, for some of the bad news that we report on here at Ministry Watch. Now, I do want to be clear that I think all news that is true is good news because it does make us aware of what's going on in the world and what to do about it. Uh, but this is unabashed good news that you will read in Restoring All Things. So, A gift of any size to Ministry Watch during the month of September, and you'll get a free copy of Restoring All Things as our thank you. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Now let's get back to the podcast. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, up now, a Texas pastor speaks out publicly about the Chi Alpha ministry scandals. He's the first known Assemblies of God pastor to do so. The man's name is J.R. Armstrong. He's the pastor of Mauriceville All Gospel Church, a congregation of about 175 people in Orange, Texas. He spoke about the scandal from the pulpit on August 13th, and Armstrong has been a pastor in the Assemblies of God for over a decade and has been at uh, the Mauriceville All Gospel Church since April of 2019. Chi Alpha World Fellowship, a network of Christian ministries sponsored by the Assemblies of God, has a presence on more than 300 college campuses. 
And it's been the subject of scrutiny over, since several leaders associated with the ministry have been implicated in sexual abuse scandals. Former Baylor University campus minister Chris Hundle and his mentor Daniel Savala were indicted by a McClellan County, Texas grand jury on September 14th for indecency with a child and the trafficking of persons. Armstrong admitted that his criticism of Chi Alpha put him in the minority in the Assemblies of God. That's right. In fact, he went public in a Sunday morning service uh, in Mauriceville, Texas, because some denominational leaders had spoken out in support of Chi Alpha, and he said that he couldn't stand with them in that. He said this, in fact, I didn't come to be sensational. I'm in the minority, some out of ignorance and some out of willful ignorance. He said he was disturbed that leaders in the Assemblies of God did not acknowledge the victims of sexual and emotional abuse. I am not an Assemblies of God hater, he told Ministry Watch. In fact, he said he was born and raised in the Assembly of God denomination, and he's called the current situation a disappointment. But he went on to say this, I have a voice in the Assembly of God, and to say nothing is not an option for me. I want to be on the right side of history. Our next story involves a Kansas children's pastor. On Saturday, September 16th, Kansas children's pastor Matthew Lee Richards was taken into custody after allegedly attempting to stab his wife and their five children before setting fire to their home. According to court documents, Richards revealed to investigators that he was motivated by his desire to cover up the family's dire financial situation. Richardson has been charged with five counts of attempted first-degree murder with premeditation and one count of aggravated arson with the risk of bodily harm. Richards had been serving as the children's pastor of Crossroads Christian Church in Shawnee, Kansas. In an online statement, Crossroads Christian Church characterized Richards' alleged offenses as a tragedy beyond what any of us could have imagined. We are offering support and resources to the members of the Richards family who are victimized and their extended family. The road to recovery will be long physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, the statement went on to say. The only good news in all of this is that all of the victims are expected to recover from their wounds. That's right, though, as the statement from Crossroads Christian Church said, the road to recovery will be long. Do we know what happened that night? Well, we have some details. On the night of the crime, police received a 911 call about a house fire. A child also called 911 saying that their father was chasing them with a knife. And another caller told police that she had been stabbed. When police and other emergency personnel arrived at the scene, they discovered three victims with stab wounds waiting outside for help. And smoke could be seen coming from the inside of the house. Firefighters soon extinguished the fire. Richard's wife and two of his children were rushed to the hospital with critical injuries. His adult child and two other children were treated for minor injuries. Richards himself was treated for smoke inhalation. And again, we're very thankful that all of the victims are expected to recover. 
Yeah, according to an affidavit obtained by the Kansas City Star newspaper, Richards not only confessed to the crime, but also provided investigators with his motive, which was, again, financial hardship. The house that they were in was in the midst of a foreclosure process. In the affidavit, he also referred to himself as a monster. Kurt Witten is the pastor of Crossroads Christian Church, and he said that if he had known that Richards and his family were in such dire financial straits, he would have attempted to help. He went on to say this, we are totally caught off guard and shocked by what happened. Last week, we reported that the United Methodist Church first female Latina bishop in the United States had been brought up on charges in a church court. This week, we can report that she was found not guilty on Friday, September 22nd on four charges brought against her. Bishop Minerva Carcano, a leader of the California Nevada Conference or region of the United Methodist Church, was suspended from her church role more than 18 months ago on a charge of harassment, fiscal malfeasance, and a general charge of disobedience. The 69-year-old bishop will now return to her position as leader of the California Nevada Conference, a church official has confirmed, but the church mandates that she will be required to retire at age 70. Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everybody. Warren Smith here interrupting the podcast one more time to let you know that uh, it's now September, of course, and uh, in new month means that we have a new donor premium. Uh, We're offering Restoring All Things, God's audacious plan for changing the world through everyday people. It's a book that I wrote in 2015 with John Stone Street. John, of course, uh, many of you know, is the president of the Colson Center. He's an old friend and a great colleague. And, you know, John and I are both really um, pleased with this book. I can tell you that um, John and and the Colson Center use it as part of their Colson Fellows Program. And um, I I just think that if you care about Christian ministries and you care about the life of the church in this country, that you'll want to read this book. This book talks about ministries that are doing great work uh, in this country. They're ministries that uh, I think that we can at least pray for, if not financially support. And honestly, too, it's a little bit of a palate cleanser um, for some of the bad news that we report on here at Ministry Watch. Now, I do want to be clear that I think all news that is true is good news because it does make us aware of what's going on in the world and what to do about it. Uh, But this is unabashed good news that you will read in Restoring All Things. So a gift of any size to Ministry Watch during the month of September, and you'll get a free copy of Restoring All Things as our thank you. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Now let's get back to the podcast. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? A news analysis of membership 
data from the Southern Baptist Convention finds that if you want to find a growing Southern Baptist church, you probably shouldn't look in the South. You might want to try, in fact, the Northeast, New England. Analysis of the Southern Baptist Convention's annual church profile by Lifeway Research revealed that the convention is made up of mostly smaller churches dotting the Southern region of the United States. But In spite of that, more than one in five churches are, in fact, outside the South, and the only region where the Southern Baptist Convention is growing numerically is in New England. Kevin Ezell said one of the lessons of this study is that the SBC needs to be planting churches in regions that it hadn't previously served. Any other lessons from the study? Well, the Southern Baptist Convention is increasingly comprised of smaller churches. From 2017 to 2022, a five-year period, uh, the percentage of Southern Baptist churches that had less than 50 in weekly attendance grew from 36% to about 45%. Another interesting finding is this. Large churches are actually more likely to have members involved in small groups than smaller churches. And who's in the ministry spotlight this week? We're highlighting the Women's Resource Medical Center of Southern Nevada. It began in 1984 with the goal to reduce the demand for abortion by supporting pregnant women and their families uh, from a Christian worldview. Today, the organization has 25 staff and about 270 volunteers who create awareness within the local community in Southern Nevada of the needs that pregnant women face and explain how abortion compounds these needs rather than solves them. Uh, We wanted to highlight this organization for several reasons. Number one, pregnancy resource centers are kind of under fire these days. There have been some secular investigative journalism reports about um, crisis pregnancy centers, and we just felt like it was important to highlight the fact that they're doing great work in local communities. And the Women's Resource Medical Center of Southern Nevada is one of the largest in the country. It has more than $3 million a year in revenue. I should also add that it has a 92 donor confidence score. That's 92 out of 100, which means that you can give with confidence to this organization. And who did Christina highlight in Ministries Making a Difference? Tyndale House Publishers has donated hundreds of books to reach the forgotten jail ministry. Uh, At the end of this month, chaplains with the Michigan-based jail ministry will gather and shop for the donated reading material to take back to the county jails that they serve. The Forgotten Jail Ministry, by the way, is also a highly rated ministry with Ministry Watch. They get a 92 donor confidence scale out of 100. And I also want to mention Refuge for Women. Uh, They've promoted Deanna Lynn Spangler to the role of executive director for its Kentucky branch. The ministry provides short and long-term housing for women escaping from human trafficking and sexual exploitation. In 2020, 12, Spangler became the first graduate of the ministry's one-year program, and she has since graduated from Asbury Theological Seminary with a master's degree. Pretty remarkable that someone came out of the sexual trafficking world and is now leading one of the ministries. Refuge for Women runs 10 homes spanning six metropolitan areas. Uh, It also has a donor confidence score of 96, once again, one of our top scores. Warren, any final thoughts before we go? 
Well, most of you will be listening to this on Friday or Saturday. That's the day we dropped the podcast on Friday, which means that we are at the very end of the month of September. And that means that you only have a few hours left to get a copy of my book, Restoring All Things, which we're sending out to everyone this month who makes a gift to Ministry Watch. I wrote this book with my friend and former Colson Center colleague, John Stone Street, and I think you'll find it a blessing. It highlights how God is using ministries and individuals to make a positive difference in the world. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Bob Smetania, Kim Roberts, Clement Lisi, Dale Chamberlain, Catherine Post, Yunat Shimran, Christina Darnell, and Rod Pitzer. A special thanks to Religion Unplugged, Church Leaders, and Lifeway Research for contributing materials for this week's podcast. You've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.